Hey, everybody, it's Alex and Ben. Welcome back to another episode of the Oregon Bridge Podcast. We picked up the new seat because of the census. We've been growing larger populations. So I'm sure that's going to open eyes to a lot of people in Oregon. And I think it's going to open up Oregon in other people's eyes, right? That we are a voice to be heard. We're growing. And so let's get another voice back to DC. Kind of hard to just say 100%. We are going all the way to the end. But I can tell you this, if the numbers line up exactly where we think they should, um, then we're in it. All right, everybody, we're super excited to bring you this emergency pod. This pod had to come out today because we have an exclusive interview with Lori Chavez Doremer, who has just announced that she is planning to run for Congress, most likely against Representative Kurt Schrader in Oregon's 5th Congressional District. Lori is a well-proven candidate who has raised, I think, close to a million dollars, at least in one of her state house races, successful fundraiser, great branding, also good to have more women in politics on the GOP side of things. We just wrapped up the interview after having also done an interview with her before. Ben, what did you think of the episode? Um, I think this is this is pretty big news in Oregon politics. It continues a trend of folks in, in Oregon, at least, and I think probably across the country, declaring that they're running for seats that don't exist yet. Um, so that's the big caveat of the episode, is we literally have no idea what these maps are going to look like when the redistricting committees um, come up with them, or if the redistricting committees are even going to be able to agree. And if they don't, um, it'll either go to, um, in this case, it'll go to the court system to to um, to decide. So a lot of caveats, a lot of unknowns, but I think the, the Lori matchup with Congressman Schrader is an interesting one. And I think it's sort of mentioned in the podcast, but Congressman Schrader, for, for having one of the most competitive districts in the country, has had really awful GOP opponents. I mean, he's really just had people who aren't serious um, run against him. And I think uh, Lori would be a serious contender. As you mentioned, she'd be able to raise some money. And I think it would make for a very competitive race. Um, but again, it's all going to depend on the numbers and um, uh, what these districts actually look like. What is your take, Alex? And you know, you know, you, um, you've got the national ties and you've worked for super PACs at the national level who debate about getting involved at the state level. Um, what do you think the national folks are saying or thinking? And is this going to be a uh, appetizing opportunity for them to be involved in? Absolutely. They're really excited. And people were always shocked in DC politics that Oregon has two of the top 10 competitive congressional districts in the country. And yet we are rarely able to field serious candidates for them who both fit a certain brand and who can also raise a lot of money. And I mean, I think that just from Lori is clearly a well-proven fundraiser, but also she's a Latina. She's running as a woman. The GOP is, of course, well, she is a woman. She's not running as a woman. The GOP <laughs> oh. is trying to recruit more women candidates from across the country to better reach women voters and actually have more women representatives. So I think that she has a lot going for her. And I could certainly see outside groups getting involved in something like this. And, and Representative Schrader has been at the top of the list for the NRCC, groups like the Club for Growth, and some of these other organizations that have really wanted to feel the competitive candidate for this district, but just haven't seen that so far. So I think there's going to be a lot of talk about Lori in D.C., which is also kind of good for Oregon, right? Because it'll put Oregon a little bit more on the map. There'll definitely be some national media attention around this in addition to kind of the national money side of things, too. The, the one thing that I did want to sort of discuss a little bit here was... Um, there's also there's another reason why Republicans haven't been able to field competitive candidates against candidates against Schrader, and it's because 
he genuinely is one of the most moderate members of Congress. Like he he's borderline conservative for a Democrat, you know, blue dog coalition. He's got this voting record where he's been consistently against um, particularly like um, economic progressivism. Like he's against he's very much against the minimum wage. I think he was one of two votes against um, one of the COVID relief bills because of the minimum wage provision. He, you know, he voted against the $2,000 stimulus checks. Um, he, he's not an easy candidate to run against for Republicans, especially when Republicans are using the sort of like narratives against the left. Like, I don't know if defund the police as an attack is going to stick against Schrader because he's just me like, I don't believe that. I've never said that. That has nothing to do with anything I've ever said. Um, and this gets to my point about Joe Biden at the national level. That's not a convincing attack on Joe Biden either, because he's come out and said, um, we're not for defund the police and um, some of the other sort of boogeymen of the conservatives. So I do think if I'm handicapping it in the current district, um, Schrader probably starts with an advantage. Um, but again, we don't know what the map's going to look like. We don't even know if she's going to be running against the congressman. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see how this all unfolds. Yeah, and I mean, it's honestly going to play a lot into national politics too, right? I talked a little bit about in the podcast, there's the whole lot of Afghanistan going on right now, not looking too great there because the Taliban are basically taking control of everything. You have inflation rising. We seem to have like a malware attack on some major industry every week. Like as literally the thesis of our podcast, these national issues are going to flow down into these races, right? Also, I just saw the other day that the Biden administration is planning to basically reopen the border between the US and Mexico come September. Uh, who knows if that will actually happen because of course we're not in September yet, but like what does immigration look like as a national issue at that point too? So I think that uh, the tides, I would say, Schrader certainly probably starts at an advantage, but the tides could really shiftly, you know, shift uh, quickly, switch away from him depending on what's happening on a national level. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, as you mentioned, it's these these first midterm elections for new presidents: um, Bill Clinton in '94, um, Bush in 2002, Obama in 2010. They do traditionally tend to be big swings against the the ruling party, the party in power. Um, I'm still struggling to see it unfolding exactly the way it, as it has with landslides in past years, just because of the dynamics on the table right now. But um, it certainly is possible. And uh, well, yeah, and on the counter end of that, Ben, and as we talked about before, the sort of red waves always miss Oregon, right? Like 2010, Chris Dudley barely losing. Uh, also, Scott Bruin, who ran against Schrader then, which, of course, I think if he had ran against Schrader, in the district that is now the district today, he almost certainly would have won because it was a much more liberal leading district then. We didn't pick up any seats in 2014. Of course, we haven't really, I guess we haven't really picked up much lately <laughs> anyway. So uh, Alice Scarlatos was really the last candidate to actually give any sort of congressional Democrat a run for their money. And I mean, he's also declared for 2022 come this time around also. So the red wave always seems to miss Oregon, even as it gets other states on the national level, even in places like pretty liberal parts of California. Yep. Uh, so and, we'll just have to see what happens. And, and fingers crossed that that trend will continue, right, Titus? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, everyone enjoy the episode. Um, we're excited to have an exclusive interview and an, on the candidates announcement day. Uh, anybody else out there who's going to run for Congress, Give us a call, shoot us an email. We'd love to have you on the show. Um, but again, give us a five-star rating. If you haven't yet, leave us a review and remember to subscribe. Thanks, everyone. I have to say, I think we have officially hit Oregon politics insider status, Ben, because we <laughs> know that this announcement is coming before the masses across the United States do.
It is true. We are very excited about the privilege to be one of your first interviews, Mayor. So thank you for being here. I'm a good friend. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no, of course. We're really excited to have you. And so I think that the question, because there's been all this craziness with redistricting and people are declaring that they're running for Congress, but they don't even know what district they're going to run in, is, Lori, what district are you actually planning on running in and what opponent do you expect that you'll be against come November 2022? Well, you know, I wish I could be or say I'm like, not like everybody else and know exactly where these lines are, <laughs> but we don't know where the lines are going to be, right? It's crazy to think about the, across the nation, people are filing for these congressional seats. The fact that this is appealing to me and to Oregon is because we, we got, we picked up the new seat because of the census. We've been growing larger populations. So I'm sure that's going to open eyes to um, a lot of people in Oregon, and I think it's going to open up Oregon in other people's eyes, right? That we are a voice to be heard. We're growing, and so let's get another voice back to D.C. So where the lines are, we don't know. Um, but I'm excited gotcha. to file, so that's what we're going to do. And then yeah. we'll let the cards fall where they may. Yeah, and I've got to say, it's got to add, uh, I imagine you probably have an idea of who you'll be running against. And I think we have an idea of who you'll likely be running against too. But is there, uh, and of course, any politician would never say never, but is there any scenario with the craziness of redistricting that might happen where with you're at now that you would pull out of the race or are you just 100% in no matter what, uh, you're going to figure out what district works right for you and you're 100% committed? Yeah, so I'm 100% committed today. Uh, but listen, uh, I don't think there's any politician or anybody who wants to really do the good work of Oregon who can't make sure that we reassess where those lines are. And we really are in the unknown. It's kind of, it's unfair for the candidate. It's unfair for the voters that we've been put in this position, but COVID has pushed us back. Um, you know, we were late on the census as it was. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to just say 100% we are going all the way to the end. But I can tell you this, if the numbers line up exactly where we think they should, um, then we're in it. So um, in, currently you live in what is now CD5 with um, Congressman Schrader, is that correct? Yeah, Happy Valley is represented by several. Um, Congressman Blumenauer is in a portion of Happy Valley, Congressman Schrader. Oh, so yeah, it's kind of a weird, a weird line. And I am right on the cusp of both of them. So, and the new one, who will, who knows where that will be, right? And who's, is it the line gonna move? So it's hard to decide where that filing will happen. But right. we're doing our due diligence in finding the most appropriate seat for the district that I would represent. And, and the one interesting dynamic here that folks often forget is you don't actually have to technically have an address in the district that you run in. You just have to live in the state. So you'll certainly be eligible wherever. I was going to ask you and actually would like to hear you weigh in on this about um, Congressman Schrader, um, because he he's taken a lot of fire from the left. Um, he's taken a lot of fire from the right. Um, his voting record, folks um, from the, the sort of left wing of the Democratic Party really like revile Congressman Schrader. Um, he's like anti-increasing the minimum wage to $15. He voted against $2,000 stimulus checks. Um, he voted against Nancy Pelosi for leader of the Democratic uh, caucus, which is also sort of a funny sort of useless vote. So I'm curious from your perspective, like I almost, I see him in the same lane as that uh, people see Joe Manchin, right? He's like this sort of like moderate Democrat 
who, you know, sort of represents an earlier age. I think he's still one of the few blue dog Democrats remaining in Congress. Um, what, do you have a, a, a critique of Kurt Schrader from the right that's different than that? Like, if you were to run against him, which seems like a plausible scenario, what's the case against Congressman Schrader? Well, Congressman Schrader and I have known each other for a long time, just because of local politics. And when he returns to his district, he, you know, might have a round table here and there. And I always try to show up and hear what he has to say. But somebody like Congressman Schrader or Joe Manchin, it's surprising to me that the left has hit him as hard as they have because he votes 94% of the time or 93% of the time with the left. Why would you why would you be so anti your guy? Um, but they've moved those goalposts, right? So he's got a, that blue dog status uh, that he's had. You know, he keeps having to acquiesce to his left, and he gets caught up, I think, in the in the middle. And when they don't, when he doesn't do what exactly they expect him to do, I think he puts in enough years where he says, "Wait a minute, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about my district, or maybe try to find middle road." And it doesn't always fare well for him on the left probably the same for the right, right? Where he starts to say, wait a minute, I kind of can understand a few things here, but he never ends up sticking or not never, I don't wanna say never, maybe he votes too much to the left. So he kind of gets himself caught in the middle where he's not liked by all. And that's an unfortunate position for, you know, any elected official. They try to be moderate in the middle of the road and, um, you know, they get caught. Titus? Yeah, so one thing, especially with uh, that Ben and I have been talking about a lot lately is, uh, well, actually, we were arguing about this literally just earlier this week, is the impact that Battling. Joe Biden is going to play in this upcoming congressional election and just congressional elections across the country. My take on this is that Joe Bi President Biden is going to be a great foil for Republicans who are running Congress, right? We have inflation right now. There's like a new cyber attack basically every week, it seems like. Uh, I think that there's going to be some pretty negative political effects from the Afghanistan that we've seen pulled out uh, in terms of like the Taliban taking power again. And there's a bunch of other issues that we could talk about, but we'll just keep it short. But I think that's going to be something great that Republicans can kind of rally on across the country and basically run against President Biden. And of course, any sort of year that, that the president of one party wins, their party generally doesn't do too great the year after. Now, Ben is in the other thinking that uh, he thinks that Joe Biden is popular in Oregon. People aren't going to care. Uh, they tried to frame, and this is true, and it didn't work in 2020. I was upset that it didn't. They tried to frame Biden as a sort of left-wing radical. Uh, and I think he is very far to the left, but voters just weren't buying it in key, in key swing states, in key swing districts, which I know, for example, that the current congressional district that Trader is in is one of the swingiest in the country. So I'm curious from your perspective of how much do you think President Biden and also President Trump, just kind of those two figures might impact the sort of issues that both you and then Congressman Schrader are talking about during the race? Sure. Well, I'm gonna agree with Ben on one thing. I don't think people are gonna care what Biden has to say. Sorry, I, I don't. I don't think that they're gonna take him too serious in Oregon because if you're on the left in Oregon, you're gonna fall in line with you know, with what you, what you, what you already believe. And I, so I don't think he's going to make much of an impact. Now he's going to get pushed. I'm sure by the left to say, Hey, make sure you come out in Oregon and, and pay attention and, and, and stick to the very far left. And he's going to probably just disappear on that. I don't, I just don't think he's going to make much of a difference. 
Um, as far as the right side and the first part of the question about, well, you know, what's he gonna do for the political fodder for us all to use? In every election, everybody's looking for the meat and potatoes about what's happening. So now let's talk about what's, what's happening. The crime rates, as we can see, have gone up across the nation. 800% murder rate in Oregon at one point. You know, now I think it's what, 538. Mm -hmm. I just read an article over the weekend, 400 gun shootings and 150 people died over the 4th of July weekend. Does that not, when I read those, I think, are you kidding me? Is this, is this what, where we are today, this, this crime? And with the defund the police movement that has been pushed here in Oregon, I can't imagine that it's not going to be probably the number one topic, right? Burning down businesses, crushing businesses, um, people leaving the state. Um, had this happened before we got those numbers in for the census, I'm not sure we would have picked up that new seat with people leaving, right? Like they did in California. So there's going to be a lot to talk about um, in Oregon and how relevant we are. And I think Portland is going to take a back seat this cycle and say, you know, Oregon is not Portland, right? We've heard that a couple of times and Portland thinks that they're everywhere, but the one size fits all is not, is not happening. And people around the Portland Metro area, they're frustrated and they're tired. And I think there's going to be plenty to talk about and it's not going to have to be made up. Yeah. So, so Ben, actually, I want to bring you in there because what do you think about that? Because I, I mean, I, I think that we are in a moment with increasing crime rates that you kind of see this, I mean, you see this pivot to law and order Republicanism like Nixon did. I think Trump was really successful with it in 2006, but, or 2016, but I'm skeptical that that's actually going to work in Oregon, uh, despite I think it being in people's best interest that crime rates literally are crazy right now. And it's, it's actually, it seems like it is pretty scary to go to downtown Portland. And that does seem to feel impactful on the suburbs where some of these voters have definitely shifted towards the left. What do you think of that, Ben? Like, do you think that will be an important issue for them? Or do you really think that that's going to kind of knock, knock it down with different progressive and liberal voters in the suburbs? I'll start with the obvious, which is hashtag maps matter. Like, it's going to matter what the maps are and what the, dem what the they call it DPI in my world, the Democratic Performance Index. Like, how, what, how, how would you expect um, the parties to fare in a generic election, Democrats versus Republicans? Um, because of the polarization we talk about a lot on this podcast, Half the voters see the issue that you talked about as um, from the perspective, not half, but you know, one part of the population sees that as a law and order issue and we need more police and we need to st step things up. And then there is a, uh, uh, in the Portland area, for example, a lot of voters who voted proactively for a DA who sort of ran on reforming the criminal justice system. And, and um, I don't think he specifically said defund the police, but that sort of um, angle. So the maps are gonna determine this. What I would say and push back on your um, classification, Titus, was it's not that I think voters won't care about Joe Biden. It's that I think generally voters in Oregon approve of Joe Biden. I think he's restored some sense of governance back to um, federal politics that has been missing. Um, but I, I also think I tend to agree with Lori. Like, I don't think voters are going to be voting based on like, are you on Joe Biden's team or are you against Joe Biden? Like, this isn't the Tea Party in 2010 for sure. Um, so... So the issue of like Portland and homelessness and um, crime, I, th I think that's going to matter. And I think Democrats are going are, are going to have an answer on on that issue. And I hope I hope it's a policy driven discussion. Um, but but that transitions to my question for for you, Mayor Chavez Dreamer, which is um, sort of not a great happy one. 
Congress doesn't work. <laughs> it's <laughs> notoriously broken. Um, nobody's nobody's really legislating much there. That's why I think Biden's breakthrough on infrastructure is so remarkable. It's like, oh my gosh, they're getting some level of bipartisanship on a major issue, but no one is suggesting that that's going to be a trend that continues through other policy areas. So why do you want to go to Congress? <laughs> what do you want to do when you get there? Do you, do you have hope that you could advance some policy that benefits Oregon? Um, or how do, you, how do you see your role in such a dysfunctional branch of government? You know, you always have to have hope. I mean, you know, we're raising our kids here. We're working here. We're building our lives here. I'm going to have grandkids at some point who probably will live here. So, you know, giving up hope and throwing in the towel and just saying, I don't care and moving away and moving to another state. Guess what you're going to meet at the other state? The same sort of divide, right? Where are you really not going to care? And if you ask the people in Oregon, that same question you said about it doesn't work. They say that same thing about the legislature. It doesn't work. Why do we go down there and testify? Why do we lobby? Why do we spend all this money trying to figure out it doesn't work? If you go to Clackamas County, they're going to say, oh my God, it doesn't work. Nobody lives, <laughs> right? It, it, it never works perfectly. Now, if you go to local government, and I'll say that's where my passion was when I first started, right? Because that's when you get to talk to the people. That's where you're in the grocery store. That's where you're in your school you know, the schools with your kids. So it starts to matter a lot. And when you sit back from the local government and don't do anything, you've made a big mistake. I didn't do that. I have the experience to move forward. Um, and we gotta, we gotta keep fighting. We gotta break through and say, what is common? There's gonna be plenty that we don't agree on, right? Just, you know, the ideologies are so opposite and they're becoming a further and further divide. And I tell you, that's where the problem is in Congress. They, I think, you know, when you want a voter population, just divide the country and, and you can see it happening every single day. I mean, that I can sit with you here, Alex, and I can sit with you, Ben, on very different probably topics and agree or disagree. Do we don't have to hate each other. I don't, I mean, come on, it doesn't make any sense. And we have gotten to a point where it scares, I think a lot of people and people are ready to say, wait a minute, enough is enough. And I've had enough. so. I'm not going to give up and I do have hope. And that's exactly why I think it's important to run in these races. So um, in terms of a policy agenda and um, items that you're look, when you think of like your top two or three issues that when you get to Congress, you hope you'll be able to push something through a glacial legislative process to, to make some good happen. Are there, are there a couple issues that are motivating and top of mind for you? Well, listen, um, you've got to get back the, the restrictions and regulations on businesses, right? When we, again, for as long as I can remember, small businesses, we've built this country on the backs of small businesses. We've built this country on immigration, on immigrants, right? And that's going to be an issue and it's going to continue to be an issue. But we have to get policies in place just like the last administration where it was working, right? Illegal immigration was down. The safety measures were in place. The president had, had worked with our other countries um, to work out a plan that was working. And now all of that has been stripped away for political nonsense. And people are being murdered. People are being raped. The, the cartels are running um, drugs into this country at a rampant pace and our kids are at stake. So that's one issue we have to focus on or go back to focusing on is immigration reform. Two, Again, the economics, right? Less restriction, less regulation. In a, 
in a federal level, we have to think about the world as a whole. And we don't wanna lose the power control about being the greatest country in the history of the world. And that's what's teetering. As far as people's hope and belief about how great this country is and why our freedoms are so important, we can't take our eye off the ball about how valuable the freedoms of this country are and are we willing to just give them up? I'm not, and I'm gonna fight for those freedoms. And so, uh, and Lori, we'll just have one more question then we'll, we'll close things out. And thanks again so much for taking the time to, to join us. But uh, one of the things that I'm most excited about you jumping into the race is that you have a great track record in terms of raising money, running a hell of a campaign multiple times. Uh, I think that you talk about the issues really well. And what may seem surprising, I think, to many in the Oregon GOP, and actually maybe even on the Democrat side too, is that Representative Schrader is one of the top 10 most competitive house districts in the country. And I don't mean competitive in the sense of that the races in the past few years have been competitive, but if you actually just look at the number of registered voters and what the party affiliations are, it's like razor thin margins. I forgot actually if it leans R now or if it leans like plus one or two D. No, I it think is. it's still D plus two or I don't know, something like that. But I still think it leans D um, at this point. Yeah, so so very competitive district, and Schrader has really gotten away in recent years without really having that competitive of candidates. Yep. Uh, obviously, with the level of competitiveness that will come to this district, you're going to have national attention to it. You're going to have national groups coming into this sort of race. And because it leans D, or even if it slightly leans R or whatever, you're going to have to appeal to moderate Democrats and non-affiliated voters, uh, which I think that I'm not saying you haven't done a good job at, but I don't think that the Republican Party of Oregon in recent history has done a good a job sort of appealing to those voters. Uh, sure. Just sort of curious of what is the plan that you have, if any, to really make inroads with some of those voters that may have even may have even voted for Republican candidates in the past, but just don't really see face to face with the party anymore. Sure. Well, listen, um, you know, it's never an easy battle, right? Going into battle, you have to make sure um, that you're that you're paying attention. I ran two tight races, as you guys very well know, or those districts were D plus tens. Um, and I came in razor thin margins there. So I did find voters who thought, you know, she has experience, she's common sense approach, she listens to what we say, and we can get behind her. I think I can bring those Democratic voters over, especially the ones who are just as frustrated um, over the last few months of what they're seeing too, because guess what? Businesses aren't just run by Republicans. There's a lot of Democrats who own businesses too. There are lots of Democrats who get up in the morning and want to get downtown and go to work. There are a lot of Democrats who have children in these schools who are worried about their little ones who need to get back into school. So I think we need to talk about the topics. We need to talk about you know, what are people wanting for their families on an everyday basis and get back to that point? And we're not there. So I think I can appeal to those voters. Yes, it's going to take a lot of money, um, but I've been a successful fundraiser and I don't doubt that I will continue to be a successful fundraiser where um, people are going to pay attention to this race. And I think locally, I think across the state and I think across the nation. Yeah, and we look, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ben. One quick note that um, as you were speaking, I was thinking about was, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Congressman Schrader and that potential matchup, but in uh, there was an Oregonian profile of Representative Janelle Bynum, um, where Representative Bynum floated that she was actually interested in running for Congress. Um, and I think she's probably doing similar math to you, like, where's this 
map going to go? You know, East Multnomah County down into Clackamas County seems like a place where you might have enough population. Maybe it even goes all the way down to Bend. Who knows? But there's sure. a there's a world in which um, you're not actually running against um, Congressman Schrader. You're running against um, Representative Bynum. I'm curious if you have if you have thoughts on how your approach might change or what issues you might, might talk about might change if that was the matchup or is that kind of you know you've identified where you're going and that's where you're going. Yeah, when I came on just the beginning, I, re I really don't know where the lines are going to be right I mean there's a lot of scenarios we can think about i'm going to stick to the plan of what are the values of Oregonians what do they want to hear and have represent them at in DC. that's all that matters if it's. Representative Bynum or anybody else. My 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 values and goals aren't going to change to represent Oregonians. So I'm not concerned about that. Third time's a charm. She likes to <laughs> she seems to like to follow me wherever I go. So uh, I seem to uh, be a carrot for her. But if that's what she chooses, that's fine. Very good. Well, uh, thank you so much, Lori, for making time to join the podcast. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, looking forward to following this race closely and. Uh, you're our first guest to come on twice. Maybe you'll be our first to come on three times. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how the race goes. <laughs> Anytime to see you guys. It's nice talking to you guys all the time. Great. Thanks so much. All right. You guys take care. <laughs>